you've got to chart your path through it and you've got to be willing to be very honest with yourself because you you can very easily build yourself what I call a lifestyle prison. Now, <clears throat> what this means is, but you hate the way that you make the money. The trouble is you can't get out of that because you've built a lifestyle that relies upon that. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Think back 10 years ago, back to 2011, what seeds were being planted that you couldn't see back then, but have since revealed themselves as strong roots in your life now? What bit of distilled wisdom would your present self give to yourself back then? If you could whisper just a few sentences of encouragement or advice or give an admonition to drop something, what would you say? Think back on where you were living, the shape of your livelihood at the time, the people most influential in your life, the things that bothered you the most, the itch that you had for creating something but you hadn't yet brought it to manifestation. Without judgment, notice what was important to you 10 years ago, if you can muster a remembrance of that time. I think it was roughly 10 years ago that I was working on an online text-based journal of Chinese medicine, Junkyard Taoist. I always appreciated print journals like the Journal of Chinese Medicine and the Lantern, and I thought there would be room for such an enterprise online. However, I underestimated the length of the publishing cycle with print, and I failed to take into consideration that while I like to write, most people don't. So I rather quickly discovered how generous the people are who write for journals. It's a lot of work. And so to fill in the content, because this was being published on the internet, I started to do a few of those talking head conversations that were beginning to become popular about that time. And I found out that people who might be reticent to write were happy to sit down for a conversation. But I thought I was in the business to produce a written journal. And so I completely missed the signal that something conversational is what would have been a better idea. And that because of the multimedia nature of the internet, I could think bigger than print. But I missed all that. And so Junkyard Dallas failed and folded. And here's the funny thing. Everything was right in front of me at that moment to have the beginning of what would evolve into a podcast. But I thought that journal meant print. And so I missed the opportunity. But that impulse to connect and explore medicine through conversation, that was there. And eventually, as podcasting became more popular, that idea resurfaced. You're listening to it now. And the journal... Well, it's back too in the form of the Geological Audio Journal. And you don't need to write a thing to share insights or understanding of medicine with the larger community. You just need a decent quality microphone and the willingness to be generous and share with our community. Ten years ago, you too probably had the seeds of something that is now rooted in your life. The question I have is what is in front of me right now that I'm not seeing, but we'll see more clearly in a few years down the road. How am I blinded by my assumptions of the world that are a little too constrictive? 
I would indeed appreciate a few words of direction from future me. And if they did arrive, I wonder, would I be able to listen to them? There are no shortcuts to any place in life that truly has value and grows you into a fuller human being. Someone can hand you a map or sell you the blueprint of how they created success or value in their life, but that would be like following step-by-step directions on your GPS instead of navigating by the important landmarks of the actual terrain. The goal is to learn the terrain of your own mind and experience. Following someone else's treasure map will never quite work for you the way that it worked for them. Like I said, there are no shortcuts. But there are some principles and processes that can help you to learn to navigate your inner terrain. And in this conversation with Mark Asquith, we discuss some of the first principles that creative people running their own businesses tend to hold in common. Unlike most of the guests on the podcast, Mark is not an acupuncturist. He's an entrepreneur and a businessman who creates products and services that allow people to use the internet to communicate, share ideas, and build businesses. In fact, his podcast hosting company, Captivate, is what Geological runs on. These Geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine. And the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula, or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi 
and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. I'm delighted that he took some time to noodle on some of the first principles of learning in building a business because what we talk about applies as much to a tech company as it does to an acupuncture clinic. Let's get into this conversation that will help you to bring your creativity and innate joy for learning to overcoming the challenges to the practice of business. Mark Asquith, welcome to Geological. Well, thank you very much, sir. Pleasure to be here. I am so delighted, and I'm delighted because you're not an acupuncturist. And, and while this podcast, it's like a super tightly niched podcast, it's not just for acupuncturists, it's like for professional acupuncturists, well, and students as well. So it doesn't get a really broad spectrum of people listening, but the people that listen are rabid fans. And I love having guys like you on that aren't in the trade, but in a way you're in the trade because like an acupuncturist, you're a businessman. You founded and created Rebel Media, what a great name. You've created a service called Captivate. Thanks to Captivate, I've got this podcast that is now listener powered. Thank you for all your work. You create cool stuff with tech and I love the way that you write. You're a prolific writer. You're a generous writer. And the thing that I love about your writing is wherever you write podcast, I could easily substitute in acupuncture clinic or acupuncture practice. And it all works because there are some basic first principles about having a practice, doing some work. Actually, as Steve Pressfield likes to say, doing the work you know, like really digging into it. And so I'm delighted to have you here to talk about business and practice and developing your art and your golf swing. <laughs> I think we need a little bit more work on that, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a funny situation, actually. It's, um, I think there's a lot of people talking, like if we think about my niche, you know, podcasting, um, even though, you know, I build software, Captivate's the, the thing that I build and and, and that's the, the company that we're, the main, we're mainly known for. Um, but the, you know, I'm in podcasting, you know, I'm not in software. I could make software, sure, I could make other software for other things, but 
It's always been an interesting distinction to me that, you know, there are other people in podcasting and podcast hosting that want to be software people, whereas I'm a podcast person. And I think that's what the difference tends to be. But the, the point that you made about, you know, coming from um, the, the point of the first principles and really the core tenets of everything kind of just been very sensible stuff that could apply elsewhere. Like when I first started writing in podcasting and getting involved in podcasting, I sort of applied um, all of the experience that I had in other stuff, you know, marketing, building a digital agency, building businesses. And I was just thinking, you know, why, why are these principles not being applied to podcasting? Like no one's really thinking about it. Now there are other people that, that talk about it because now everyone's a podcast coach. But, you know, it, it, back in the day when I started doing it, no one was, sounds odd, but no one was really bringing that common sense. You know, it was just, the podcasting was a really small thing. You could start a podcast, get a bit of an audience, and like sort of that was all you needed to do. Um, so it's a very different world. So I agree that I'm a big fan of the real simplistic view of things, you know, the real common sense, the do the basics right. And that can be applied to acupuncturists. It can be applied to podcasters. It can be applied to builders. It can be applied to to anything. It doesn't matter, you know. So I think it's, uh, it is fascinating, those transferable skills, uh, which I think everyone needs to start with. Yes. Well, you just said something that really got my attention do the basic things right, which sounds really simple. Of course, the next question is, well, what are those basic things? It's like, what are the important things to pay attention to? It's like when you're lining up dominoes, because you're playing as a kid, you, you probably did that when you were a kid, you line up dominoes and then knock them down. Mm. I love dominoes. Dominoes, one of my favorite, uh, favorite games. Yeah, I, right. I still play that today. And then sometimes when I'm losing, I'll just line them up and stack them down. You know, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's like sometimes a small amount of effort in the right place will take care of other things down the way. Whereas if you're a little bit off in what you're doing, you're constantly like swimming upstream to try to make things work. The, the biggest thing with that, just sorry, sorry to jump in, dude, but I think that the biggest thing with that is that the, um, like the most, the, the most powerful basic thing is looking after customers. You can line the dominoes up, but if they're not connected, you know, if, if, if one falls over and doesn't quite reach the next one, mm -hmm. there's no, you have, you have absolutely got no kinetic force to push the other ones down. And it's the same with customers. You know, you, you, you knock one down and they're going to tell the other one and they're going to tell the next one. They're going to tell the next one. Your job is to kind of make sure they have the best experience. And I think, a lot of people start start businesses because they love the thing that they do, not the outcome that the thing that they do provides. You just mentioned that you got the listener support a podcast. That's my goal with Captivate. It's not to do the hosting. That's the easy bit. Like that's the bit I'm expected to do. But if you're an acupuncturist, what are you trying to deliver? The acupuncture is the thing you're expected to do. That is not, you know, it's not a USP. It's the base level expectation. It's everything else that counts. And I think a lot of people forget that, you know, we see a lot of people in, in all sorts of industries, tr tradespeople are the, the finest examples of it. And doctors, you know, they're, they're both a set of busy people, but we don't live in a world anymore where you can simply ignore people because you're busy. You know, you mm. will lose work doing that. So I think that's really, really important. Like everything has to be customer centric now, you know, everything doesn't matter what you do, whether you are, a very traditional style business or whether you're a sort of bleeding edge AI based business, it doesn't matter. You know, the people that you're serving have got to come first. Um, and and the, there's no real way to hide from that where before there was, you know, it was you and the business, you're the customer. It was you and me. 
and you could tell someone else it's sort of your word against mine. Now it's everything's Trustpilot, everything's Twitter, everything is social, you know? So you gotta, you got to remember that the key stakeholders in the business are not just the people that get paid from it. You know, they're the customers because without that, nothing else exists. So yeah, you got to, it's about lining the dominoes up. But I think for me, it's about, it's a really good example because if you think about the, you know, the, the length of whatever, 26, 28 dominoes, however many is in a, in a pack, you know, you got, um, you've got to line them up in the right order, you know, and the first one has got to be the customer. And then the second one has got to be your, your product. And then the third one has got to be your processors. Um, and if you get them in the wrong order, things go wrong. So it's fascinating. I think that's a really good example, dude. It's a really good, uh, it's sort of a good picture to have in people's minds, I think. Well, I know with most businesses, and certainly with something like an acupuncture practice, the very best referral is a word of mouth referral. And, and I think that's really true in any business. I mean, I think even in your business. Oh, you know, yeah. Big tech company, it's the, the most powerful thing. It's the most powerful thing, which in some ways is why things like Twitter, why things like Yelp, why things like Trustpilot, they get so much play these days because in our virtual digital world, this has now become coin of the realm. This is where people mm -hmm. go. They go to people they've never met to get an opinion about a business that they're considering, which when when I think about that, it's like, well, that's ridiculous. Why would I rely on strangers that I don't know for an opinion about something in terms of a product or a service? And yet, this is the world that we live in. Hmm. And I think what's what's fascinating about that is that people, what's, what am I trying to say with this? I know what I'm trying to say, but I want to give it in the best way possible. So you've got to think the old adage, customer, the customer is always right. That is not true mm. in today's realm because of the fact that we've got Trustpilot and we've got Twitter. And, you, you, you know, people operate in the extremes. It's why the media is so busy. It's why the media is so prevalent because they operate in the extremes, the extreme positives, which are much rarer in the media, and the extreme negatives. So you're only really going to get any feedback on social media or on Trustpilot if you deliver one of those two experiences, an extreme positive or an extreme negative. But extreme positives are very, very, or can be very, very objective. They can be very, like, does it work? Are there any issues? Mm -hmm. What's the experience? Is it good or is it bad? Like, that's a fairly set parameter. If something is good, it can be very objective from an experience perspective. If something is bad, there's a lot more subjectivity that comes into that. Because, you know, I might, have, I might be running upstairs, ready to get on onto the product that you've built or ready to get ready for an appointment or to do whatever. And I stubbed my toe and that caused me to fall up the stairs, you know, hurt my knee. And I'm, dude, I'm annoyed. I am annoyed. So I turn up at the thing that I'm doing and there's the minor, most minor inconvenience of, you know, there's no space outside to park. I got I got to walk 50 yards. I'm having a bad day. That translates to a bad review because I, I need someone to vent at. And, you, you know, you just happen to be there. Your trust pilot page gets that. That is the fact. So, yes, we live in a very transparent world, but we also have to decide what kind of business we want to be. And this is really tough. Like, Captivate stands up for itself. We have, I've had people in the past who, not with Captivate, with, with our other business podcast websites, um, who have been customers for years. Something has clearly been going on with them. And, 
we've done our best. We've we've delivered over and above everything, and we've we've you know we've got very strong processes to help. And whatever we did wasn't good enough. So that person has then become malicious on the back of it because they are struggling with something. So instead, instead of saying, you know, look, I've actually made some mistakes, it's easier to defer the blame and push the blame onto the company because the companies are faceless, aren't they? You know, it's business. They can handle it. And we saw it. We've seen it on Facebook. You know, people will then comment on Facebook and they'll put something that is simply not true. And that will happen in any business. It doesn't matter how good your business are. Someone else will be having a bad day. You will always have to account for the other drivers on the road except for yourself. And the customers that are having the bad days are the other drivers. You've got to look out for them. So what you've got to consider with this is what kind of brand do you want to have? Captivate our businesses. Anything that's got me behind it will stand up for itself. Okay. The, the customer is not always right. What the customer will get is fair treatment, but we will always defend the brand. Now, a lot of people, I had a big, big debate with some customer experience specialist on Twitter, who in my opinion was flat wrong about it. You know, he was just saying, no, you, you know, you've got to be empathetic. And I said, well, you know, we are empathetic. Here's the proof. Here's the, the flow. But actually, we spent four or five years building a reputation for someone to undo six months worth of goodwill in the eyes of the public because they're having a bad day. So you have to be prepared to say, where is your line and what kind of brand do you want to build? And that, the, the time that I'm talking about here, I was very able to say, you know, listen, if you want to play this game, that is completely fine, but I have it here. I've got our conversations. You just, you tell me what you'd like me to do. Would you like to just close this matter off? Or would you like me to just post the conversations because that's fine. We can do that. It's in the T's and C's. There's no GDPR breach because you've brought it up. There is no personal data. Would you like me to post them so that we can all have a bit of a fair trial online? Inevitably the post gets deleted and an apology comes through. And the, the, the fact of the matter is that that 10 years ago and 20 years ago would have been seen as defensive. as something that a brand can't do. But what I think you have to understand, especially if you're a small business owner, if you're an acupuncture practitioner and you have spent so long building a small local uh, niche business up that someone who is, you know, someone who comes to your practice and has an experience that they're not keen on because they've had a bad day, who can feasibly cost you five clients, 10 clients, 15 clients. You have to be aware that it's not like 10 or 15 years ago. You do have the right to say, look, you get your say these days because you have Trustpilot, but I will be there. If you, if you, that is your course of action. I will be there because this is my, this is my mortgage payment. This is my kids schooling. Mm -hmm. This is you our know? livelihood. Exactly. So it's a different world. And the reason that I mentioned that, I know it sounds a bit sort of ethereal and a little bit out there and sort of a bit, a bit on a tangent, but the important thing to understand, I think with it is that you as a company, are expected to act like a person. That's what we want these days. And I think that comes with the ability to give yourself a little bit more confidence to handle an affront as you would if you were a person. Yes. You know, it's a respect thing. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. 
Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Well, and especially with an acupuncture practice, it is a very personal exchange. Mm-hmm. We don't think of ourselves as having businesses. Many acupuncturists think of having a practice or having a clinic, but we don't, we don't like to use the B word. Many of us are uncomfortable with thinking of ourselves as a business, and yet, of course, we are, because that's just kind of the way the world works. You said something about the positives tend to be like objective and measurable. You can, you know, it, it's something you can easily talk about because they're deliverable. It got delivered or it didn't get delivered. And, and when people are having a bad day and the bad reviews come in, that's usually an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we see this a lot in our practices. Sometimes people come in completely unobjective. They're completely caught up in something emotional. Of course, it's, you know, it's their life and it's their health and, you know, all that, that stuff. So I think we already know something about separating those two things out, you know, how we work with it on the, on the online world. You know, hopefully you don't get bad reviews, but, you know, on occasion you do. And, and I think your advice here to go to things that are objective mm-hmm. is, is very helpful. Um, I, I want to come back to some business stuff here because you wrote a post which actually had me reaching out to you to invite you onto the podcast. And um, we were talking about golf swing. And we're talking about business. It was a. It, it, I encourage people if you want to get some helpful business advice. I mean, to subscribe to Mark's uh, newsletter uh, in in his uh, in his emails because again, you can substitute the word acupuncture clinic for podcast, mm. and you'll find some really useful stuff. One of the things that I loved about reading this post of yours a few months ago is you talked about how human beings seem to be kind of primed in some way to look for that magic silver bullet shortcut, the thing that's going to work, right? There are people out there all over the place selling you for, of course, it's $197. That's a a magic number. There's reasons for that. They're going to sell you a course. They're going to sell you the blueprint on how they made themselves a success. The problem with this is that that map and that blueprint doesn't match your terrain. It's like, you've got to do the work. And, and you had this great thing that you talked about that your golf sucks. Well, actually, your golf doesn't suck. Your driving sucks and your chipping isn't so good, but your putting and your iron game is spot on because when you were a kid, you had a carpet that you putted on and your folks bought you a seven iron. You can hit the hell out of a seven iron. In fact, you use this term. You said, I can't unlearn how to use a seven iron, right? And, and so I think there are a lot of things that 
are our seven iron. There are resources that we have. Maybe we don't know their resources we have because it's stuff that we were playing with. And we learn through our play and it gets into our experience. Yeah. I I, I think you've got to you've got to really consider your strengths. And like you said, a lot of them will be hidden. Um, you know, to continue that golf analogy, because it, it does really tie into this one. Um, and we can get more um, less analogous in a second, but I, I, about two weeks ago, in fact, this time last week, this time last week, I was in Scotland playing Royal True, you know, open championship course. It's one of the finest courses in the world and it's hard. And we played Turnberry the week before again, open championship course. Um, it was a bit of a, bit of a golf trip Kieran and I went on and, um, I left my driver at home. You know, it was a five-hour commute up to this place. You know, ain't no way I'm going to come back for it. You know, mm. the driver and the three would were, were in my garage at home, and all around me, we had people better than us hitting a driver off tee every time, hitting a driver off tee. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to smash a six iron straight down. And knowing what my handicap was, I six iron down the middle, six iron down the middle, left me with a chip, and I'm terrible at chipping. So what did I do? Because it's a burnt course. I just putted it. Even if I was 60 yards out, I just put it. And I got it within, you know, I was Texas wedging all the way through. And it, every time it was 10 foot out and then I can two put in. And to my handicap, that's fine. You know, shoot a five on a par four all day long. And I won out of everyone. I won the entire contest. And then I, I came fourth the day after out of 12. And the reason for that was that I played to my strengths. And I, I, I literally knew that if I had 115 yards, well, 120, 125 yards in, I could hit a full pitching wedge and it would probably land on the green. So all I was doing, I was like, right, I've got a 450 yard hole here, take 115 off. What does that leave me? 335, perfect, two six irons, jobs are good. In. And that leaves me a pitching wedge and I can drop it on the green. I love it. And I love it, it was easy. Yes. And it was easy because like, I, was, I was swinging the best I've ever swung on my putting. It, there was no pressure on it. I just had to drop two up there and it was it. That was it. And I still left a pile of shots on the course. So the reason that I mentioned that is because I could have easily taken my driver, smashed a load of balls, looked great, big swings, but I would have lost the balls. You know, and I wouldn't have won. I wouldn't have got anywhere near it. But I had to accept a bit of an ego hit because I couldn't do the big swings. I couldn't do the cool stuff. I couldn't do the stuff that other people were doing because I have not put the work into being a better driver of the ball. And they've been doing things a lot longer than I have as well. They've been practicing that driver for 10 years longer than I have. And you get all this in business. It's the very same thing. If you are a practitioner, if you are a software company, if you are a plumber, if you stick to your own game and don't look at what someone else is picking up on the tee box, and what club they're taking, and how far they're hitting it, you'll still win because you're sticking to the thing that you're good at. But it's the ego that breaks us. Or it's the perception that we aren't moving as quickly as we think we should be because we see someone down the road. It's very easy when you've got a physical storefront as well, or if you're going out to people's houses, or if you build, you know, if you're stealing clients from other acupuncture practitioners it's very easy for them to say, oh, this person did this thing, and you to think, well, I should do that thing. But what you're not hearing is what they're saying to other people about the things that you did that no one else does. 
because no one says that stuff. Why would they? Because you're doing it and they're just they're just experiencing it. That's it. So you're not there for that feedback back to that objectivity. So I think it's really clear, like one staple point of all business is that you've got to pull out of the bag the things that you know you can sit and rely on. You know, if you are great at one particular piece of your puzzle, like with a practitioner, if you are great at client relationships, but you never get your accounting done on time, don't do your accounting, get someone else to do it. If you are terrible at winning new clients, but you're amazing at making sure that the business is running smoothly and that everyone's booked in on time and that you're never late and that everything is communicated perfectly, do that bit and let someone else do the other bit. It doesn't need to be expensive. And I think if you do that, it doesn't matter what business you're in, you'll be surprised how quickly things get better. And I'm not saying things aren't good now. And you'll be very surprised at how quickly things will change if you just decide to do the things that you're good at. In fact, I'll tell you what, on my screen now behind this Zoom, on this other screen actually, is I've got a Notion board and it is me typing to myself what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. And I keep a running list of it so that I can do the things that I'm good at and that are important and the stuff that I'm bad at, I better let someone else do them. They could be vital to the business, but if I suck at them, someone else better do them. Yes, I, I recently started a not-to-do list. And it's so enticing, especially if you've seen someone else do it and it looks successful. And you're looking at yourself and going, oh, I'm, I'm deficient here. I should probably fix that. And, and here's... Here's where the rub comes in, Mark. I, I absolutely agree that there are strengths we have. Sometimes it's simply a matter of discovering them and leaning on them, right? That's mm -hmm. the easy part. But there's also places where maybe we're not so good at it yet, but it's still worth some time cultivating. There's times mm -hmm. where it's worth cultivating something, and there's times where it's worth just leaving it alone and go hire that out. Do you have some kind of rubric for knowing what to work on? Um, yeah. So I think that there's something that I developed back in the day when, when I was just getting into podcasting and I was in my agency days and looking for a way to change up. I was sort of, I was running this design and digital agency, which was brilliant. You know, we were in this little town in, in Yorkshire called Barnsley, but working with like these amazing clients and, uh, I was bored to tears of it, dude. You know, I was, I was, I was just stagnant. Um, and I was, I was just not interested because it was, it was, I was selling websites. It was, it was dumb. And I'd, I'd, I'd got out of the coding that I, that I really loved doing. So I, I sort of developed this, this three, I said maybe a three tier rule back in the day, about 2014 ish called the triple I principle. It was a way for me to track my time and then to categorize the things that I knew would be important, would be interesting or would be integral. Now, mm. I'll tell you what, what I did and then how I used it. So I used to take every single task that I did and I'd record my time for a couple of days at a time, uh, sometimes even a week. And I used to do this two or three times a year and I'd write down everything that I did and I would categorize it. All right, was that thing important? Was it integral or was it interesting? Um, the important tasks are the things that move the needle. So the things that absolutely move the needle forward. The integral tasks are the things that without them, you simply wouldn't have a business. Legal requirements, accounting, invoicing, you know, stuff that if you failed on them, even emails, 
If you failed on them, you, you couldn't do it. You, the business would die. And then the interesting things, these fall into two categories. These are pretty much the things that build up your willpower again. So imagine a glass of water. Every time you do something that you hate or that is integral that you might not be very good at, you sap some of that willpower. You drink out of that glass because your willpower is being used to just get you through that thing. You're forcing yourself to do it. Mm-hmm. When that willpower is depleted, when the glass is empty, That's it. you burn out. Mm-hmm. It's a fact. It, you know, you just burn out. So what you got to do is you got to do fun stuff in between. Like anyone, I, you know, I don't know if people using the video for this, but behind me, I've got a bass, I've got a guitar, a keyboard, I've got Star Wars stuff, I've got, there's all, there's all sorts of stuff. Uh, I've got a Rubik's Cube right here, you know, little random things like this. But I also, on this other screen again, I've got some coding. I don't code for Captivate, but I code other stuff. So those things refill that glass. That's my tap of willpower, and it fills it back up. I do an hour of coding, I can do something that I really don't like doing for 20 minutes. And I feel all right doing it. Yeah, you give yourself a little dog treat for uh, doing some some hard work. Yeah, exactly that. But not only not only the treat, and this because this is the second part of that interesting thing, mm. is that these are also the potentially developmental things. Because guess what mm. was in the interesting tab back in the agency days? So let's let's kind of go through this. Back in the day, 2014, 2013, whenever, agency owner, important tasks were... Uh, making sales, making sure clients were happy, um, writing proposals, um, user testing, and you know, let's call it that. Integral tasks, making sure the accounts were done on time, making sure bills were paid, making sure invoices were being paid, uh, making sure my emails were kind of up to date, making sure that I was getting back to people on the phone. But what were the interesting ones? Doing bits of coding on a low-impact website, you know, not a big client, just a little one that I could do in my spare time because I enjoyed it. But what else was in the interesting side of things? Better do that podcast. So that was interesting. Flash forward nearly 10 years. Now Mm -hmm. it's integral and important. And interesting. And interesting. So this was, for me, well, actually, we'll talk about that in a second as well, because that is subtly shifted. The thing that I podcasted on then that was interesting was business and podcasting. I talked about business back in the day. Now it's important and integral, more important than integral that I do a podcast about podcasting because that's what I do. But what's interesting is I still podcast for interest and for fun and to build my willpower, but I do it about Star Wars. And that's the difference is it's that that fills my willpower. Now, the reason that I mentioned that is that if you if you break that 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 kind of day down into this triple I principle, you get the ability to really understand what you should be doing and when. So you'll find, you know, your circadian rhythm will tell you when you are better at doing important stuff. My focus time is between 7 a.m. and about, about midday-ish. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. I've got anything vital to do, like when I, I was doing proposals at the old agency, there were times that I would be sat at my desk at 5.30, 6 a.m. knowing that that would be done by 10 and it would be the very best work I could do. And then I'd finish at two o'clock and go and work on that seven iron. And it, you, you, you then map the important to when you're the best during the day. You do the interesting stuff when you're the worst. Ah, uh, you know, three o'clock, bit of a lull, right? Do you know what? I'm just going to talk about Star Wars for an hour. That's what I do at, on Friday at three o'clock. 
We record our Star Wars podcast Friday at three o'clock. Friday at three o'clock, I'm out. I'm done. That's me. So, and then the integral stuff, that's the sort of stuff that you can either number one outsource or number two, if you're a, a smaller practitioner, that's the bit that you do in your snatched time. You know, that half an hour where you're like, oh, okay, clients let me down. What should I do? Do you know what? I'll do the let billing. Just reconcile this. Yeah, yes, I'll do yes, the billing. Yes. I'll reconcile the accounts or or whatever. Now that principle got me from being an agency owner that didn't know what to do next to where we are today. That literal principle got me. And I do it every day. Like I said, I've got, I've, I've, I've subtly tweaked it now because we've got a bigger team uh, to the, what I'm good at and what I'm bad at, because I, I'm in a, I'm in a position where I can sim rather than, I'm in a position where I know the important stuff is being done by someone else and the integral stuff is being done by someone else. So I can sort of say, right, the interesting stuff, I should probably split down to what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. Um, so yeah, I, it works so well. And that's not reserved for big business or execs or online entrepreneurs, like anyone, a window cleaner can do that. And that looks like the most straightforward job. Go do this thing, go do this thing, but it's not. This seems like a very scalable principle. You, you could take it from a one-man show or one woman show up to an entire company. Yeah, everyone can do it. You can decide on what that means. We, we do the sort of stuff like we captivate. You know, we're just going through a bit of a positioning exercise at the minute with the brand. Inevitably, as a, as a software platform, you, you, you have to assess your positioning and your messaging every 18 months or so. And we do the same thing for it. You know, which clients are important to us, which ones are interesting and which ones are integral. And then the other one is which one, I suppose I literally just made this up, but the fourth one would be which ones do we ignore? Which ones do we ignore? Which ones do we get rid of? So I, I think, yeah. So, so we're talking about something here that I think practitioners might be a little uncomfortable with, maybe business people a little uncomfortable with. It's important to know who you're not for. Yes, it is. It's really important. I mean, sometimes people might come and, you know, they want to have your services, but you're really not the right person for it. And, and the very best thing you can do is, number one, not do business with them, but ideally point them in a direction where maybe they can get what they're looking for. But it ain't you, babe. Yeah, that's that's a couple of, of interesting things there, man. Uh, I think there's there's the the lack of dead ending someone. Like I never think you should dead end someone. I talked about that in this week's uh, email mm. and, and, and podcast is that, you know, you should never dead end someone. It should always be a no, but not a no. And saying no, but makes saying no easier. So if you come to me and say, Michael, uh, sorry, Mike, you're Michael. Um, if you say, Mike, listen, you know, I, I got this, I've got this blue chip corporate podcasting client. They want to put a hundred podcasts on your account. They want 12 hour SLAs. They need all these contracts reviewed and signing. It's worth 10 grand a month. I'll be like, right. Yeah. That's not for us because it's boring. Like, I'm not interested. Um, but here's someone else that could do it, you know? That's right. So what a lot of people will do is they'll dead end. And it, it, you, can't, you can't do that. And, but but if, you, if you have a no but, if you have a referral network, it makes saying no easier. Now, the other concept to introduce here is something that I call bad money, which I've not talked about for a long time. But, you know, bad money can come in so many different varieties. You can take bad investment from an investor that you don't get on with, but you just wanted the money. You can, um, you can take the wrong clients. You know, we've taken so many clients in the agency days because we were learning. You know, we we're in our early twenties. Someone that comes to you with a ten grand web project, and you think, well, that's ten grand. 
but actually it's a 50 grand web project and they just happen to have got 10 grand, you know? So, and you think it's a good job because it's like, Ooh, I see the 10 grand, but it's bad money. It saps it. You know, you, you, you end up worrying about things and, and the project scope creep and, and all this sort of stuff. And it's, that turns into bad money. It's bad money flowing through the veins of your business. And also- Yes, because it doesn't bring the value. It's some money, but it doesn't bring commensurate value. And it, it doesn't also just have to be value. You know, I will not work on things that bore me. That is it. It is that simple. Like if I wanted to be bored, I'd be a consultant. I would, and I'd make my money that way. That would be cool. You know, I'd just go out and be a whatever. I don't even know what I'd consult on, but, or I'd be a podcast coach. Like I've been ranting on about the last couple of weeks, you know, and, 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 and there are people that are better than me at that because they find it interesting. And that's the, that's the thing. Imagine your mum or your dad or your sister or your brother or your kids saying to you, why did you set your business up? I don't know anyone that will say, well, I set my business up to, to be bored or, to, to, to really like hate working for the clients that I work for and to dread checking my emails or to dread these two clients coming in. No one does that. Like that's, that's Actually, that. I would say some people do it. I did it recently. Oh. Yes, I did it recently. I thought, <laughs> okay, I got this podcast and it's cool. It kind of creates a community. I want to come, I want to talk to you about community in just a second. Hmm. Creates community. It's a place for people to gather and learn things. I think I'll take some of the guests and and we'll do like CEUs. We'll do online continuing education experiences and, and it'll create another income and it'll give people another way of interacting with the podcast. It'll give guests an opportunity to teach. And here's what I discovered. I hated having (laughs) a company where I had to do and be, well, I didn't always have to do it, but I had to be responsible and make sure that all that administrative stuff that goes with online CEUs was getting done. And I realized I built a company I did not want to work in. Mm-hmm. Mm. So yes, you can do it. The important thing after you do it is to get the hell out of there, you know, and find the thing that turns you on. And, and it's, it's whether you then decide to bail on that and as a business or whether you decide to bring someone else in that does love it to kind of build it and scale it and, and, and do whatever, you know, with, with the agency that we had, you know, and this is very similar to a, uh, it becomes a scaling thing. When you get to a certain level with any business, you have to do the things that you didn't sign up to do. You've got to be the manager. You've got to be the, the person that runs, the, you know, whatever part of the business that you didn't have two years ago because you were a one man or one person outfit, you know, out of a practice in your car. You know, it's suddenly when you get a store and you get a shop or you get, you know, you get team members, you got to sort out all that stuff. And it's at that point, you know, the inflection points come at so many different levels you know there's an inflection point of do i want to go from freelance to an actual company and then do i want to hire someone and if i hire them do i have to manage them do i want to manage them do i want to be responsible for all these other things so these inflection points become more and more um number one more and more frequent but number two more and more important yeah because you've got to you've got to chart your path through it and you've got to be willing to be very honest with yourself, because you you can very easily build yourself what I call a lifestyle prison. Now, <clears throat> what this means is that let's assume that you're like the number one acupuncture practitioner in the entire region. You have built a fantastic business. You have got a wonderful house. You do two or three vacations. You've got amazing cards. Your kids are in good schools. Brilliant, but you hate the way that you make the money. The trouble is 
you can't get out of that because you've built a lifestyle that relies upon that. And you're in now this prison because your lifestyle is entrapping you. You can't get out of it because if you do, you got to downsize the house. The cars have got to go. The kids have got to go to a different school and the vacations that's once every two years, once every three years. So you get trapped victims of our own success. Yes, exactly. But also a victim of our lack of honesty with ourselves. Because when you start earning a little bit more money and you start succeeding in business, what you do is you think that that's the thing that you want. But 99% of the time, it's not the thing that you want. It's the thing that enables you to do that the thing that you want. The money is just, the money is not the outcome. The money enables the outcome. The thing that we normally want is if we've gone through the process of training ourselves and we've gone through the process of um, becoming better and an expert in something and finding clients, the thing that we actually want is control. You didn't want responsibility. I agree. I get it. You know, we want the control to do the things that we want to do. And most business owners are like that. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Yes, yes. One of the a great quote I heard from Jason Freed, who uh, runs Basecamp. The reason for having your own business is so you don't have to ask anybody's permission to do what you want. Yeah, exactly. And it's you know what? That's that's why I set my business up back in the day. Um, I, I got to the point where, and I was only young. I think I was like nineteen, twenty, and I just said to myself, "Do you know what? Two things. I could if you if my manager tells me I can't wear this T-shirt, like." screw that guy. He's talking crap, but I do what I want. Like I don't see clients. I work in a damn office. Like he's just telling me because someone's told him to tell me. And then someone's told that person, tell him to tell me like you're all idiots. So that's I'm out. You know what, what is the reasoning for that? So that was like point number one. And that's a very flippant and antagonistic viewpoint. But the point stands in that there was no point to any of that. So I was sort of like, what a waste of time. What a waste of life to have those things imposed. Second thing was, you know, 19 and 20, I was seeing people next to me, you know, people I, I used to sit over from a girl called Caroline, she had kids, can I have an hour off or finish early to go and see my kid play football? Uh, I don't know, not today. We've got to get this report out. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what a waste of life. 
and I remember thinking to myself, that is not happening. Right. It, it, the second I have kids, um, that's it. I, the, the work can wait. But if they go do a soccer practice, I'll be there, you know, and it's, it's how you want to look back. You know, no one gets to 80, 90, a hundred and thinks to themselves, really bloody God, I got those reports out on time. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. So I think that was something that I clocked really early on. <clears throat> now the problem comes when you start to think you've got that. So this is back to the scale and you get to the point in your life where you're like, do you know what? Actually my business is doing all right. I could probably hire a couple of people in, keep the business running. That's dangerous because you can't become apathetic. You can't become complacent. And at the same time, that's the most difficult time to be honest with yourself. That, But that is the time where you need to be saying, I can't do this anymore because I don't have the skills to take it from, I've gone from zero to one, but I can't go from one to 10. So maybe I need to think about something different. Do I bring someone else in? Do I scale the team? How do I do this? And that takes brutal honesty just at the time that you've started to think you've achieved what you wanted to achieve. And it happens all the time. You see it with plumbers. You know, we've, I've seen it with tradespeople all the time where they'll, you know, you'll, you'll see them at, um, you know, whatever time, two years ago, and they're just starting out and they're keen, they're eager, they're on time, their prices are good, their prices are, are fair. That's the important point. And they come and do a great job. And then you see them two years later and they've scaled because they did all that stuff. They got more work but they forgot to do the stuff that got them the work. So then they start losing the work, but they can't be honest with themselves because they're still two years into a four year lease on a car and they've just remortgaged because the business is doing all right. So they're scared. They just want to keep their head down and keep going, but it's diminishing returns. And you see that as a, as a self-employed person, as a sole trader, as someone that's flying solo um, danger, you know, that's a danger zone. The second you get to that, you've got to really look at what, not only what you've done and what you've got to, but how that has happened. And I guarantee you, it, it will be 90% nothing to do with the way that you have done things. It will be the way that your vision has been perceived by other people. And that's what they've bought into. So it's really important to kind of, I know there's a lot to unpack there, but to make those distinctions, you know? Yes. I, I wish I'd talked to you a year ago. <laughs> don't do the don't do the project yes back to put this on the not to do list but, <laughs> but I think it's part and parcel of being self-employed and I think it's part and parcel you know I'm back to thinking about you and your seven iron as a kid right <laughs> when you're a kid and you're playing with a seven iron or me it was like sailboats like getting to sail sailboats and like figuring out how to make them go up wind and stuff like that it's play. It's inquiry. We don't hardly realize what we're learning because we're busy being engrossed in something that has our interest, like you were saying. It has our interest. And, and we learn from that. And it, it turns us into a certain kind of person. Maybe the kind of person like you were age 19. You want, you want me to wear a, a necktie? I'm in a back office. Like, what the hell? That's stupid. Oh, that's stupid, huh? Maybe I maybe there's a, a different way of living life than this. And man, that takes you down some paths. I, I want to switch for just a moment because I, I'm respectful of your time and I know we don't have a lot of it. There's something I really want to spend a few minutes on, and that is community. Mm. So I'm not a digital native. When I was growing up, there were not computers. We didn't have a, a device in our 
pocket that would track us or we could play games on. We had to go outside and invent our own damn games. And we had to, um, how do I say this? Our sense of community when I was growing up was that we were together doing something. It might be playing a game, might be making up a game, it might be fighting with each other, but it was person to person in the moment, real time. Mm -hmm. And so I've grown up with this, you know, over the years, you become a professional, what do you do? You go to conferences, you go to conferences to connect with people real time, face to face, have a drink, have a meal, you know, share your experiences in, in the moment. And one of the things I find with the podcast, which is actually, it's very asynchronous, because I'm having a conversation with you. All right, that's real time. I'm sharing it with people as they like to listen to it. That's asynchronous. And yet, because these conversations are real, they're genuine, they're not scripted. We're like in here chewing the fat together, like you would at a conference, like you would as you know a kid hanging out. It tends to give a sense of community. People often comment on the podcast that they feel connected to community. And yet... It seems to me, again, this, this is my upbringing. I think of community as face-to-face -face in the moment. But we're living in this digital world, and it's like podcasting is like a, it's like a digital campfire. It's a place where we can gather around and tell stories and listen to stories and feel like we're connected, mm -hmm. but we're not together in real time. Which to me is this like weird anomaly. I'm not sure how to make sense of what community is in the modern age. And, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah. And, and I'm sort of in that weird generation that didn't grow up with digital, but then got it at a pretty formative time. Like I got my first cell phone where on the Christmas of my, the Christmas three months before my 18th birthday, I remember being at college um, 18 months before that, and only then really getting access to the, the the most nascent version of the popular internet. So that was 98, 97. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was just very lucky to get thrust into a job that, that required me to use a computer. So I became very, very, you know, I suppose very savvy with them pretty quickly, but I do, I do sit on that boundary and that generation that, that sits there. And I think that's why a lot of what we do is very personally focused. You know, it's very customer centric where you see a lot of software companies, even podcast hosting companies that just like, they're all about feature, 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 feature. And then they're out of touch with what's going on because they don't have that sensibility, that, that mix of, of how to deliver the conversation and how to manage the digital aspect of it. And I think podcasting, or certainly community around podcasting is it's back to that seven iron. It's back to that idea that you, you know, I used to play, um, I used to, to hit golf balls. Play, I don't want to say play golf because it, it was not playing golf, but I used to do it like a seven iron across a field, but I didn't do it alone. You know, that was with a friend of mine, Scott, where there was two electrical pylons in our feet. There was a huge field, which was equidistant between our houses. Um, and we used to hit a seven iron. And, you know, when we were younger, it was four shots to get us pile onto pile. And then we got older and it would be two. Um, now it would be back to four. But it was <laughs> it was one of those scenarios where we did that together. 
And then we found other people that wanted to do that with us. And we had a little posse that would, you know, go up and one of us would get a new club and then another one would get the new club. And then eventually we'd all get the same new, and then it would, the cycle would begin anew. So that, you know, I agree with that sentimentality of, you know, the, the, the face to face, the in-person stuff, what I missed out on with that. And what I think we, we lost out, not lost out because it didn't exist, but the ability to connect with you and me here, you know, this is, an international conversation that we can have because it's technologically enabled. The ability to <clears throat> surface like-minded individuals, like I'm a geek, you know, there's two bass guitars, there's a guitar, there's a, a keyboard, 40,000 conference badges, Star Wars, DC Comics, and Stephen King down the back of there. All right, there's all sorts <laughs> of crap. But most of my business comes from that. Like I was on with Dan Meisner from Pacific Content yesterday, one of the biggest podcast production companies in the world. The first thing that he said was, is that a Music Man Stingray 4? I was like, yes, it is. Are you a bass player? Yes. And I've known Dan for years. Didn't know he played bass. And so that's what you, you lose out on. And I think what people, what people often get confused with, um, with community, is that you turn up for this one thing, which might be a podcast about Star Wars, and, and, and you, so you, you're all in that place for that one thing. But actually, within that group, just like you get at a conference, you will, you'll find the Star Wars geeks that also play bass, and you get a little splinter niche group, and the Star Wars geeks that also think that Tim Drake's the best Robin. And you, you'll start, you'll get that splinter group. And, all the, and so all these people, have, like we do, you don't just have one interest, and I don't just have one interest. So there are different Venn overlays of what that looks like. Now, when the way that that works for us as business people, and especially a small business person, is that our job is to cultivate that. That's all we got to do. All right, just like we do. Um, like I'm, I'm a real introverted person. A lot of people don't believe that, but um, like I speak on stage all over the world, a big, big, big audiences. I've done thousands of podcast episodes, but honestly, when I've been to a conference all day and talked to 600 people, which I do exhibiting. I am tired, man. Like mm -hmm. four o'clock, I want to be in my room chilling and not because I'm physically tired, but I need to be away from people because I, it's, it, you know, that glass of willpower that's gone. And then some, you know, I'm living on the kind of caffeine hit of willpower. So <clears throat> a lot of people say to me, a, a guy called Jonathan Oaks, who runs Trivial Warfare, he's a good friend. Oops. And he, um, he said to me, do you know, I've watched you at these events and what you do is you connect different people. And it's, I didn't know I was doing it. But what I do is I'll talk to you. I'll be like, well, so Michael, you know, good to see you. How are you? Like, oh, by the way, this is Jonathan. Jonathan, Michael does this. Michael, Jonathan does this. Oh, and look, here's Steph. Introduce you three. And then that's it. I'll, I'm out. You're like a, you're a catalytic enzyme then. Yeah. And I do the yes. same thing 10 times. Mm -hmm. But what then happens is I then can bring, to, you know, I did it at San Diego in uh, social media marketing. Well, I was like, oh. We're going out for a bit of dinner. I had no idea because the time I got to the restaurant, there were 40 people there. And I'm like, oh, crap, yeah. So I'd connected one group to the next group that I'd brought together and then the next group that I brought together and the next group that I brought together. And suddenly there's a tribe, there's a community. Now, back to the business element of that, that's that, your job is that is it. You know, We talked about not dead-ending people earlier introduce people in the community. Like you don't have to, you know, running a community doesn't have to be all um, content and, you know, fun posts and, 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 you know, all the stuff that's traditionally 
associated with a digital community. Instead, what it can be and what it should be to start with is just you enabling a safe space for curation to happen. You know, these are my acupuncture practitioners. That's the 10 that love Star Wars. That's the 10 that love Star Trek. You all love this other stuff in the middle, but go and do your thing. And I'll be here doing what I do. And I'm right in the middle of it all, you know? So that that's the stuff that we used to have. <clears throat> so back in the day, you know, when we were kids, you'd go out playing with one set of friends and they'd, you know, they want to go down the river, you know? And then there was another set of friends that were way more interested in video games. And some days you'd be with one set, some days you'd be with the other. But then when you got to 18, when you got to an age where you could go to the bar, they're all there. Everyone's together. Everyone's there. Or you've got two from this group and two from this group. And that's what community is. And, and all we have to do to enable that online and to really benefit from this halo effect of positivity is just mm -hmm. be the facilitator. That's it. Like that's the most simple way to build a quality community. I appreciate that because so often I thought it had to be, oh, you got to be together in this space. Well, in this conversation with you, I have just expanded my sense of space. And uh, in this thing that you do, that's kind of a catalytic enzymatic reaction in putting people together. I realize that's something that I've done in my life. It's not something I've attempted to do. Hmm. It's just something I've naturally fallen into. I have no idea why it's like that, but it's kind of like that. So I think that's that's a natural thing, though, for someone that's that's you know, a, a natural communicator, but that isn't necessarily communicating for an outcome. And a lot of people mm -hmm. would, you know, you see all the time at these networking events and all these kind of networkers on LinkedIn, LinkedIn telling you how to network, have this, have that. And you're like, nah, just sure. If you want to do that, you know, have a process, have a flow, have a follow-up process. That's cool, whatever. But you, you will get spotted. Everyone knows what's going on when you're doing that. People can feel genuine. People can feel genuine. That's it. And I think that's, you know, what you're saying there just alludes to you just being a good person that just likes to chat and, and, and make good, respectful connections where that will serve you much better in the long term than, you know, going out and hitting up 10x more potential network opportunities. Yes. Well, that wouldn't work for me. That would not work for me because I'm an introvert. Exactly. Yeah. Same, and, and, same. And, and I love your metaphor. Of, I've got this glass of water. It's a limited resource. So use it wisely. Use the willpower. Use that energy to connect whatever when it's important, but don't squander it because mm. it's in limited supply. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's a good way to articulate. Actually, dude. I like that. All right. I appreciate that. Well, Mark, I thoroughly have enjoyed our time together. It's been you know wonderful seeing you at various podcast conferences that uh you know where we first met thank you for creating captivate because captivate allows geological to do what it does these days as a listener powered podcast so deeply grateful because if it wasn't you and your attitude of i'm gonna wear my damn t-shirt fuck you um, <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't have created what you've created and i wouldn't have this to share with my listeners today so thank you so much for all that you've done no, I appreciate it. Thanks for your support, man. I'm looking forward to getting back to that conferencing and having a beer, hopefully, over the next few months. All right. We'll have to go have an IPA together. Definitely. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. These days when I think about business, 
I think about how I used to feel about cracking open that big box of 64 Crayola crayons when I was a kid. The potential in that box was limited only by imagination. And when it comes to running an acupuncture clinic, that same sense of possibility is there, along with the fear of the blank page and that sense of what the hell do I do with this? In this conversation with Mark, I'm reminded that humans love to learn and explore and that it's fun to figure something out and that the difficulties we face can be opportunistic so long as we can shift our frame from one of limits to one of possibility. I particularly enjoyed Mark's story about going to the golf tournament and forgetting to bring along his driver, but he knows how to hit the hell out of a seven iron and so shifted his thinking and approach to lean hard on the resources that he did have at hand. The resources of the world are unevenly distributed, and what we do with that is what makes all the difference. I'm curious, if you have something from your past, something that you used to call play, that taught you something essential about the world, and how that now helps to inform your acupuncture practice, I'd love to hear about it. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.